Thank you for joining our Transform 365 podcast, a discipleship and teaching ministry of SWCC. We pray this teaching helps you to grow in your journey with Christ. We have some great resources available for you on Transform365.com webpage. Feel free to download discipleship materials, small group teaching, as well as peruse our training workshops. Also take time to visit www.swcc.org for videos, teaching, and more. We thank you for listening and your support. We'd love to hear from you. So use our contact page and drop us a line. Now for our podcast teaching. But today we are talking on the mind of a disciple. And in this series, uh, I, I hope that we all see really it, our goal is to be more like what Jesus is saying in this as he's listing discipleship as a key to growth in a relationship with him. How he's talking about followers of his will do these things, will act in this way, will have a mindset towards such. And he's not talking about believers will do these things, okay? He's specifically calling out those that, that, that have believed and now have dedicated their life to following, which there is a definition of that. There's a separation in that. In John chapter 8, I believe it's verse 31, Jesus says, it says, and many believed on Jesus in that day, and then he said to them, if you want to be my disciple. So there's a distinction between discipleship and believing in Jesus Christ. Today, we are on merciful, which comes from Matthew chapter 5, verse 7 in the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, if you want, go ahead and follow me there. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. In a leper camp in Calcutta, India, there's a group of Bible college students that work bandaging the rotting flesh of the sick and infected. They go ahead and they treat it with whatever medicine is available and provided by the government. They treat the, the putrid wounds of the lepers and then they wrap them. You see, India still has a caste system which is hard for us to imagine, but it's very much in practice there today. And lepers are considered untouchable. They're the outcasts of the society, and that's why they set them out of the, uh, out of the community, far away where no one could come into contact with them, partly because of the infection, but the other part is because they're an outcast. You're, you're untouchable. You're no longer part of society. Any affiliation with them, it makes you someone else that's untouchable too. So by these Bible students going there and doing this, they're basically proclaiming themselves untouchable along with the untouchable lepers. And so they go and they take the supplies that the government gives to the lepers, the food, and they cook it, the medicine, and they apply it the bandages, and they wrap them because no one else is willing to do so for them. You see, the government is willing to provide up to a point, but then they stop. 
They're willing to give the supplies, but no one is willing to go and put themselves in danger of, of getting the infection, and no one's willing to go and put themselves at risk of being an outcast of society. But these Bible students, these kids, they go and they show compassion and mercy, risking their status, status and risking infection in order to comfort others in their time of need. And that is the mercy that Jesus is talking about in Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, this is the kind of mercy that Jesus is talking about. It's a mercy in action. It's compassion no matter the discomfort. And that's what Jesus said would set apart His followers from everyone else that's out there. His followers would be known as people that are merciful and that will in the end receive mercy. I want to read that again, Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, say it with me, receive mercy. You see, we got to keep this in historical context again. Whenever we read Scripture, we need to go back to its context. We need to go back to its place. And as I like to say, we need to take off our tennis shoes and go into the sandals of the people that came before us. And as you read these Beatitudes, you read uh, what's taking place in Matthew chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7 as Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. In Luke chapter 6, it's the corresponding chapter. You see, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus has just chosen His twelve disciples. Those that would be His followers and learn from Him. His twelve learners. He's requested twelve men from nowhere. I mean, these are tax collectors. These are fishermen. These are the rough. They're the tumble. They're the outcasts of society. Sound familiar? You see, in that day, rabbis, they would choose. They would choose who was going to follow them. They would choose who would be their learners. And most of the time, it was the people that had the most influence. It had the people that had the most education as well. And here, Jesus, the top up-and-coming rabbi. He is the most notable rabbi of his day. Even as Jesus is starting his ministry, people had recognized that he was a special rabbi. He chooses 12 disciples of his own. And they were not people of privilege, of education, of connection. He chooses tax collectors, merchants, and fishermen. And after choosing them to reach, he, he tells them to go and reach others of the same. To go out and reach the outcasts, the rejects. Go out into the, to the world and not go to the religious people that are educated and not to go to the people that have set themselves above everybody else. He says, go into the highways and the byways and collect the people that no one wants. In fact, Jesus, He loved to give Himself the title that the Pharisees used to talk in closed doors about Him. But Jesus being the all-knowing, all-powerful God, He knew exactly what they are saying. 
They would go and they would mumble and they would say, why, why does he eat and sit with, Pharisee, with, with tax collectors, with sinners and with prostitutes, with drunkards? And so Jesus used that title of himself. He said, hey, I'm the friend of drunkards, tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. You see, Jesus didn't come and choose the religious, the Pharisees, the high class. He chose those that were the outcasts of the world, those that had compassion for the outcasts of the world, and He looks at them as He's teaching them. This is the first time He's spending time in discipling them and growing them and giving them a lesson in life. He would spend the next three and a half years teaching them different things and, and how to be a disciple, how to learn from Him, how to grasp from Him. And He sits them down on a mountainside and He says, I want you to have this character in you which is in Me. I want you to go to the outcast of society and love them. I want you to be known for being merciful as I am merciful. I want people, when they are in contact with you, to feel the actions of mercy. That's what it means to be merciful. It's not just to talk about somebody else and the pain that they're going through. It's to feel and to act upon the pain and the emotion a person is going through. Jesus, in sitting them down and sitting His disciples down, He says, this is what I want in your life. Brothers and sisters, it's so important because this is completely opposite that of the life of a Pharisee. It's completely opposite that of a life of those who establish themselves as better and holier than everybody else. You see, religious leadership in Jesus' day tended to be toward judgment and mercilessness. Because of their demand for a rigorous observance of law. But mercifulness, it's the action. It's the action of what we've already been studying. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. You see, mercifulness is the action of these things. That's what Jesus is getting down to. He's saying, look, this passive meekness, this this bridled power as we've talked about in the past, this comforting those that need People that mourn wickedness, pain, and suffering. People that feel that they need Christ and His filling more than anything else in life. Those that seek righteous living before they seek riches of this earth. These people, these people that follow Me and call themselves My disciples, they will have actions of mercy and compassion. And when they live this mercy out in their life, 
I will be right beside them, showing them compassion and mercy through life. And when they pass into the next, it will be me that comforts them in the kingdom of God. You see, when the Pharisees saw that the law separated them from showing mercy and compassion, that's exactly what they were viewing in things. They're, they, they looked at people that were born blind, and instead of saying, you know, this person was born blind, let's come alongside them, let's, let's, let's raise them up, let's work with them, let's help them, what did they say? Who sinned? Him and his parents. God, who, who sinned? Who separated themselves in order to do this? It was all a judgment. Instead of going to the person in their time of need and pain and suffering. Instead of showing a heart of mercy and compassion, of, of being moved to action. They look at the beggar and they said, look at what this guy has done for himself. And brothers and sisters, this is so relevant to today because believers, we need to be moved to a heart of compassion. They disregarded people as tax collectors, prostitutes, and sinners. They didn't call people by the name of people. They didn't call them as people that are struggling. They said, that is a prostitute. That is a sinner. That is a tax collector. And they excommunicated people for the sake of themselves. Their blindness was separating themselves. Their blindness was them looking at the blind and saying that's a punishment for sin. That's why Jesus said, hey, it's like the blind are leading the blind because you're spiritually closing yourself to the needs and to the looks and to what's going on around you. In Matthew chapter 23, if you would, please turn there with me. Matthew chapter 23, 1-13. It says, And then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to His disciples. So again, he's giving another lesson to his disciples. This is a separate thing from the Sermon on the Mount. And he said, The scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. So he's basically saying that the scribes and the Pharisees, the interpreters of the law, the keepers of the law, they've seated themselves above everybody else as the leaders of everyone. As the judges of everyone. But you know the differences between Moses and the Pharisees and scribes? Moses didn't want that position. He said, God, go choose somebody else. And God said, because you said that, you're ready. I'm putting you there, Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But do not do according to their deeds. Have you ever had somebody say that? Do as I say, not as I do. That's what Jesus is saying there. He's saying, hey, do as they say, because actually what they're saying is good. They're saying to, to give to the poor. They're saying to, to you know, tithe to the church. But 
when Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he looks at what they're actually doing and practicing themselves, what does he say? He says, don't be like these hypocrites. Because they're giving out of their extra. They're helping out of the little bit. When they pray, it's to be heard by men. He's saying, and, and they're getting their reward in full right here on earth. Because the reward is this. The reward is a pat on the back and the look of holiness from the people that surround them. He goes on and he says this, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on the shoulders of men, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and they lengthen their tassels of their garments. They love to the place of honor at banquets and the chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplace and being called rabbi by all men. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher. Teacher and rabbi are the same word in the Greek and Hebrew. He's saying, don't let anybody call you rabbi because there is only one rabbi. And he's saying that's himself. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, and that is Christ. But the greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, and whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. But woe to you hypocrites and Pharisees, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourself, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. You see, the Pharisees had no view of love, of humility, of mercy, which is at the heart of the message of the Old Testament. At the heart of the Old Testament is God's love, mercy, and compassion. Not just for His people, but for all people. Because all people were called to look at Israel and say, you know what, I need Yahweh in my life too. I need, I need God in my life. I need His compassion. I need His forgiveness. God used Moses when he was at his lowest. He had killed an Egyptian. He had ran away into the wilderness. He was tending somebody else's sheep. He had gone from being a prince of Egypt to tending somebody else's sheep. To being one of the lowest. A hider. He had gone from being one of the strongest men in Egypt where he could kill somebody by hitting them in an instant. I mean, think of how strong and powerful. That's more than Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson ain't got nothing on Moses, okay? It would be like, you know, do you guys remember the interview after he fought Holyfield? Do you guys remember that? He was like, he, he kept hitting me and hitting me. Remember? You know, it would, it would be like that, okay? Mike Tyson would have nothing on Moses. Moses hit a guy 
so hard, he died instantly. But did God use him when he was at his strength? No, it says 40 years later, when he was an 80-year-old old man having to use a cane to walk around, God came to him and said, Moses, Moses. He used Rahab, a prostitute, and elevated her to the point where she is named number one in Hebrew among the faithful of God. And number two, she's named right alongside Jesus in the lineage of Jesus Christ. He called humble, nomadic, wandering, and lying Abraham. Abraham was a liar. Abraham, every time somebody looked at his wife, he said, she's my sister, take her, it's fine. Let's have peace, right? Abraham lied a lot. And people kept on suffering consequences because of Abraham's lying. But he used him to make a great nation called Israel who's still there today. Amen? Why? Because God uses the small and the weak As he says here, I will use the smallest and they will be the greatest in here. In my kingdom, it will be the greatest because you are the weakest. Because they will be great and blessed because of their meekness and mildness and mercy. That's the message of mercy and love, brothers and sisters. You see, all of those I purposely only used Old Testament people to show how God uses mercy and love in His message. And it goes on and on. I mean, David was what? A shepherd boy. He was the youngest. He was the smallest. It said he was a ruddy little boy. Right? He was a nothing. But God used him from the smallest tribe of Bethlehem. It's a message of humility and grace. But the rabbis, the Pharisees, the scribes, they looked at it and they saw that God didn't have love, humility, grace, mercy. They only saw law. You see, that's the biggest lie that Satan does, isn't it? If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, what was the lie that Satan told the woman? What did God tell you not to do? God said, I've given you everything. There's only one thing, one rule. Listen, when God comes back and everything's perfect again, you know how we know that it's not Satan's fault? That it's not the fall's fault? That it's not people, that it's not the animal's fault? That it's not any of those things that is the fault of society? You know how we know that? Because everything's made perfect. And just like in the garden, we will have one rule. And that's to honor Christ who's seated at His throne in the millennial reign. And you know what? People will still turn against Him. It's not a devil thing. It's a people thing. It's a heart issue. And that's the same thing here. God gave them one rule in Genesis chapter 3. And what did Satan do? He's like, hey, God's... He said you can't do that. And then the woman's like, yeah, you know what? He said we can't eat it. We can't touch it. We can't sniff it. We can't look at it. What what did God say? You can't eat it. That's all God said. 
And now all these extras are coming in. Is that all these extra rules? There's no extra rules. It's don't eat the fruit. But what do the Pharisees do? They look at things and they look at the rules and they only focus on the rules. People only focus on the things that can separate. Isn't that what's taking place today? People are only looking and focusing on things that separate. But what does God do? He says, no, no, no. I don't want to look at things that separate. I want you to go towards those people. I want you to show them love and compassion and mercy. I want you to embrace them with loving arms. I want you to grab the sinners and prostitutes. And I want you to dine with them as I'm dining with them. I want you to be known as a people full of compassion. Or as Peter says later on in his epistles, the bad that they speak about you is the good that you're doing. Jesus condemned the modern rabbis because He says you're exasperating your pupils with laws, rules, and traditions that you can't even keep. That's what He says in verse 4. He says you can't even keep these! You're a hypocrite! You're a hypocrite for teaching this! Jesus is rabbi to rabbi, but not rabbi to rabbi, the rabbi to the small rabbis. And he's saying, you can't keep these laws. Why are you putting those laws on the people? You need to focus on what God wanted you to focus on in the Old Testament. Not 613 laws and rules. You know, there were 613 laws and rules in the Old Testament. And that each rabbi had five to ten different ways of interpreting those laws. And when they taught their own disciples, they taught them all ten, uh, five to ten ways to interpret 613 laws. So they had all these crazy thousands of laws that they had to keep in order to be what? Righteous. God's saying, that's not my standard of righteousness. That's not my standard of discipleship. My standard of discipleship, I mean, listen to what Jesus says about Himself. He says, mine is love, gentleness, humbleness, meekness. When you come to people, I want people to see your mercy and your compassion. I want you to embrace the sinner. Jesus said not to follow these men. He said, stop following the rabbis. Stop following the scribes. Stop following people that judge unfairly. They're hypocrites. And they shouldn't be followed. That's what he's saying in verses 6-14 to here. When an individual became a pupil of a rabbi, it was said that they took on the yoke of the interpretation of the rabbi. That's what, it, well, that's what the interpretation of the law was called. It was called a yoke. Where else do we see that in Scripture? Can you guys think about it? Well, in Acts 15.10, uh, it talks about the yoke. Um, you know, there's, there's the yoke in Matthew 11.30, which is Jesus is describing His yoke. Jesus is describing His interpretation of the Old Testament in Matthew 11, chapter 30. And He says, hey, listen, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying, my interpretation of the law is compassion, love, grace, and mercy. 
His call was to release themselves from the unattainable teaching of separation. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And he describes himself as gentle and humble at heart. They took a hard view that if somebody was sick, it was their fault. It was sin. Or the fault of their parents. They felt no compassion, no heart of mercy. They cared. Somebody was struggling. That was their, their, their issue. Deal with it. But Jesus says, hey, you know what? Help others in their burden. In Mark chapter 3, Mark chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, Jesus says, it says, as he entered again into the synagogue. So Jesus, a lot of times, he would go into the synagogues, he would go into the temple, and he would teach. As he went into the synagogue, there was a man there whose hand was withered. So we had a man that had a paralytic hand. There was no muscle tone. It was withered. It was gross. And the man probably just sat there every day begging. Asking for anybody that would go in to give him prayers. Hoping that by being there every single day that God would show him what? Mercy. It says they were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Oh, here we go. Another set of their rules. You can't heal on the Sabbath, Jesus. So they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? Now now he's flipping it on them. Because he's reading what's inside of their head. He's, he's seeing their body language. They're all sitting there and whispering in the corner. He, you know, they're all looking to see what Jesus is going to do. Oh, He's going to heal somebody. We're going to string Him up. We're going to get Jesus finally. Right? And then Jesus says, okay, let me ask you. If I heal this man, that's good, isn't it? But if I do nothing and that man remains in pain and with a withered hand, that's evil. So which is better to do on the Sabbath day? What's better, to save a life or to kill? And it says, but they kept silent. And after looking around at them in anger, it grieved, and <laughs> grieved at their hardness of heart at their lack of compassion. He said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored. What was hurting Jesus was their lack of mercy and compassion. The scribes and Pharisees didn't receive God's mercy because they had become so self-satisfied with their own religious achievements, they felt that they didn't need God. And they had become bankrupt of mercy and compassion. 
When they would go around, they would see somebody sick, see somebody poor, see somebody in need, instead of being moved to help them, they would turn. They would avoid. They would walk around. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. It's a story of avoidance of compassion and mercy. Listen to the writer of Hebrews explain Jesus though. I love it. I love the way the writer of Hebrews explains Jesus. Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. It says, Therefore, He had to be made like His brethren in all things, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest. What was lacking in the priests of Jesus' day? in the rabbis, in the Pharisees, in the scribes. Mercy and compassion. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For see, since He Himself was tempted in that which he, was, he suffered, He is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. He had to be made like man So when you're weeping, He's weeping with you. So when you're struggling with sin, He's not struggling with sin with you, He's struggling alongside you. He feels your struggle. So when things are dumping on you, when, when people are, are yelling at you, He feels that, but He also feels them too. It's a heart of compassion. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying, be merciful. Feel the pain of other people. Take pity on them. Be moved to want to help. Try to lighten their load. The word merciful here is the word elimon. And it refers to one who is actively compassionate. Somebody that's actively compassionate. Or one who's Benevolently merciful involving thought and action. They're just, they're just always merciful. They're always moving towards helping others. They're always moved to compassion. They see somebody in need, they go towards them. They see somebody in physical need, in mental need, whatever it might be, they are there with them. And it reflects being concerned about people's and their needs. Another way to put it is they are mercy and because of that they're overflowing for others what Jesus is saying is people move to compassion will have compassion in the future of the kingdom poured out upon them and how is that? because Jesus will be by your side you're reigning with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because you've been at the side of people here on earth. Think about it. Because you sat along someone in their pain, in their time of need, when they're crying out for somebody to come along and help them, you sat alongside them and helped them. Because you sat and you cried with someone. Because you sat and you laughed with someone. Jesus is saying, you will sit alongside Me in the kingdom 
Blessed are the merciful because they will receive mercy. Blessed are the compassionate because they will receive my compassion. Scripture says many times that Jesus would look out at the state of the people. And it would move Him to action. It would rattle Him to the point, to the core, to where He would work to the point of exhaustion. Think about that. It says that Jesus would go into towns and He would heal anybody that was brought to Him. You just sit there all day touching people and praying for people and healing people and weeping with people. You know how emotionally exhausting that has to be? And then physically exhausting. And then it said that Jesus, exhausted, would go and seclude himself. And then you know what would always happen? People would find him. And they'd go to his place of seclusion. And Jesus, it says, would be filled with compassion for the crowd. And what would he start doing all over again? Touching, weeping, healing, crying. People that had been the outcasts and the rejects and the unworthy, Jesus came alongside. In Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 9, Verse 35 to 38. It says, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. And seeing the people, he felt, what does that say? Compassion. Because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. He was moved to the point of action. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. He's saying, look, we don't have many allies out here. Pray to God to send more like you. That's what he was saying. Pray to God to make more disciples. Pray to God to send out more disciples. Pray to God to send out more people with love and mercy and compassion in their hearts. When pity, compassion, and mercy overwhelm you to act, then you are following Jesus, brothers and sisters. Then you're being his disciple. But mercy also implies that you show mercy in moments when you could exact punishment or judgment. You know, that's what it, that's what, so in mercy is, yes, is compassion. We focused a lot on that. But mercy also says, you know what, even though I could, I'm not. That's mercy. Instead of giving exactness, you show pardon, not giving what's due. You take the stance of Christ who actually wore our heavy burden. Listen, mercy belongs to God and He gives it to His children to dispense 
on those in need. And when we're dispensing those individuals that are doing so, they show they are disciples of His. And Jesus calls every believer to become disciples of His. Every believer, hey, you know what? Now that you believe, become my learners. But that's a choice you have to make. It's a commitment you have to do. It requires a lot, yes. Because it's a heart of compassion. It means you'll live in pain. And not just your own pain, the pain of others. But you know what the beauty of this is? We can't outgive God. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. We give, He gives more. We push down to make sure that we get every corner. Scripture says, He fills that up to its overflowing, to where it's abundance. Brothers and sisters, that's what He wants to do in your life when you show compassion and mercy. When you give, He's going to give more. Paul defines the actions of the mind of a merciful person in Romans chapter 12. In Romans chapter 12, if you're wondering, hey pastor, you know what, what does this look like? I'm not going to have to answer it for you because Paul answers mercy for you. If you want to show mercy to others, if you want to know what compassion looks like so you can try to live it out, then look no further than than Romans chapter 12, verses 15 to 21. Romans 12, 15 to 21. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And actually, I love in the way that the Greek is written, it's actually talking about weep with those who are weeping. And rejoice with those who are rejoicing. Basically, it's up to you to look and find the people that need compassion in the moment. Weep with the weeping and rejoice with the rejoicing. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in your mind, but associate with the lowly. What did Jesus do? He called Himself friend of the drunkard, the prostitute, the sinner, the tax collector. That's why we love to sing Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? Because it lets us know that Jesus was a friend to the wee man. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. When you can exact revenge, when, you, it's, when it's totally up to you to give the judgment, He's saying, show mercy. Weeping with those who weep is compassion. It's the action side of mercy. And then He says, but when it, you can, when you can exact, don't. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, revenge is mine, I will repay. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. 
Do not overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The good that's being talked about and written about right here. The actions are compassion and mercy. Those who are merciful will receive mercy. And yet, Jesus is not saying that God's mercy depends on you being merciful. He's not saying that because you're not showing mercy, He's not going to be merciful. He's saying, I want my mercy to grow in you until it pours out. I want my compassion to grow in you until it flows out. When you weep, weep with the weepers. When you rejoice, rejoice with the rejoicing. Share your emotions with others. Share the needs. Share the good moments as well. Amen? That's what it means to be merciful and receive mercy. We've all been in a place where we've been down. Amen? But it's just in those moments that mean the most when somebody comes alongside us. Maybe not even to speak, but just to hold you and cry. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Brothers and sisters, right now, what the world needs more than anything is mercy. What the world needs more than anything else is our compassion. Not for us to stand up and start waving our hands around saying, if you, or why are you doing this, or none of that. What we do now defines us as learners of Christ. Are you going to show the world that you're merciful? Are you going to be defined as a follower of Him? Let's let that Amen. Thank you for joining the Transform 365 podcast a ministry dedicated to helping you grow in relationship to Christ. If you want to know more, find us at transform365.com or on our church website, www.swcc.org, located in Miami, Florida. Until next time, remember, the only work in grace is to let grace work in you. God bless.